All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. Today is another ultimate divisional crossover in which we will be talking about the Carolina Panthers offseason moves in 2020 outlook. And since Wednesday was also the franchise deadline, we'll talk a little bit about the Falcons not pulling off a trade for Yannick Ngakwe, but still also having some potential cap space to add more players to the roster. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for many years. I'm on Twitter at FalcFans and of course the host of this preeminent Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today is another ultimate divisional crossover, our fourth of the week. Today focusing on the Carolina Panthers offseason moves, looking ahead to their 2020 season, talking about sort of their Identity flip from a defensive-driven team to an offensive-driven team. The transition from Cam Newton, Teddy Bridgewater, all those types of things on today's episode. And if you're tuning in this week for the first time all week long, these Ultimate Divisional Crossovers feature myself as well as three other hosts from the various Locked On podcast shows around the NFC South. Ross Jackson of Locked On Saints, Bill Rossetti of Locked On Panthers. And David Harrison of Locked On Bucks talking about each team. We On Monday, we talked about the Saints. Tuesday, we talked about the Falcons. Wednesday, we talked about the Bucks. And, of course, today we're talking about the Panthers. Tomorrow, we will be going over the various listenerships, votes across all four shows uh, for the preseason all-NFC South team and sort of breaking that down, the surprises and, and, and the snubs, so to speak, on that thing. But before we get into today's ultimate divisional crossover, uh, focusing on those Carolina Panthers. I did want to talk a little bit about sort of the news of the day as we saw a bunch of uh, franchise tag players, many of them not getting the long-term deal by the July 15th deadline, uh, meaning that several of those guys will have to play in the tag uh, this season. Hopefully we'll get a season. And, uh, you know, so a couple of guys did get deals done before the deadline, but you know, there's various reports about, you know, people like Yannick Ngakwe being, you know, uh, on the block or whatever the case may be. And sort of maybe people had the idea sort of seeing like, why aren't the Falcons going after this guy? And sort of that's what we're going to sort of jump things off by talking about why the Falcons didn't necessarily go after one of these franchise tag guys, but still could potentially go after, you know, the much coveted pass rusher that, if you've been listening to Locked On Falcons over the last, what, three months, it seems like I've been you know pushing for the team to, to try to pursue. But uh, that's sort of what we'll jump into right now on today's uh, Locked On Falcons lead story. The franchise tag deadline came and went and the Falcons didn't make a move for anybody. Given their cap situation with NFL PA.com projecting them to have currently $10.8 million in salary cap. The team has yet to sign any of their six rookie draft picks, which according to calculations from over the should cost the team about $2.4 million in salary cap space. I know I had previously mentioned about $3.2 million when I was previously calculating that figure. Um, but I wound up, you know, using the wrong figure when trying to incorporate the top 51 rule. So that was my bad, but after signing their rookies, you would have put the Falcons potentially at about $8.4 million in cap space left 
And the problem is that just isn't enough money in order for the team to realistically pursue any of these franchise tag players. You look at the cheapest player that was tagged this past offseason, that was Tennessee Titans running back Derrick Henry. And that was at a cost of $10.3 million, which is higher than the $8.4 million that the Falcons would have to absorb that contract. And then you, you know, factor in, of course, Henry wound up signing a deal and re-signing with the Titans just ahead of the deadline. So he's not even available at that point. So the cost would be even higher than that. Um, so it's just one of those things where the dreams of any sort of last minute trades worked out between the Falcons for say someone like Yannick Ngakwe with the Jacksonville Jaguars and offensive guard Joe Tooney with the New England Patriots are essentially pipe dreams at that. But that doesn't mean that the Falcons couldn't necessarily make other additional roster moves to help out their team. You know, there are still plenty of fish in the sea, as they say, with some free agents that remained unsigned, particularly pass rushers like Jadavion Clowney, Everson Griffin, Cameron Wake, Jabal Sheard, Ezekiel Ansa, Marcus Golden, Clay Matthews, Michael Bennett, Vinnie Curry. He's a player that previous media reports had already connected to the Falcons in terms of a team that was showing interest in him, not to mention some interior defensive linemen that specialize in pressuring quarterbacks like Mike Daniels and Timmy Jernigan. So there are plenty of options available for the Falcons that if they wanted to shore up some of their depth, particularly on the long, the defensive line, they could do so. And we've already seen this team, at least since the draft do, you know, make some moves in order to shore up some of those depth spots, including acquiring edge rusher Charles Harris via trade from the Miami Dolphins in early May, following that up a couple of weeks later with free agent linebacker Dayon Buchanan. But after those moves, it does seem like the Falcons are prepared to stand pat. There hasn't really been any sort of suggestions that the Falcons are still looking to make a move outside of that report saying that they had shown interest in Vinnie Curry, but we didn't know if that was active interest or previous interest earlier in the offseason. And so if the Falcons do not make a move, they could presumably justify it because they're willing to stand pat on maybe seeing what growth and development some of the young pass rushers that they're bringing to camp, including Tack McKinley and, and Charles Harris show this summer before potentially circling back at a later date prior to the season. But clearly the Falcons pass rush could use more help in addition to that already added this offseason with players like Harris and Dante Fowler and Marlon Davidson, because in 2019, the Falcons finished tied for 29th in the NFL in sacks. When you look at their pressure rate, according to pro football reference.com, they were 30th in the league in 2019. So if the Falcons do decide to stand pat on a the roster, then the Falcons could Further justify that by saying that they plan to use the remaining cap space, in this case, $8.4 million after signing their rookies, carry that into the 2020 season and through the 2020 season, and then have the potential possibility to carry that over into 2021 and roll that over as cap space in that future season. And that is worthwhile to the Falcons and other NFL teams because the salary cap situation in 2021 is up in the air and might shrink compared to 2020 because this upcoming season in 2020 is going to be a modified one in which NFL teams might not play in front of crowds and play in empty stadiums, which is going to hurt the NFL's bottom line this fall. So while the Falcons do have that flexibility to go out there and pursue players like a Everson Griffin or a Cam Wake or Michael Bennett or, or somebody of that caliber, at this point in time, it still remains unlikely that they're going to do that. And instead, they'll just count on the likes of Harris and Fowler and Marlon Davidson to provide all the G's that the Falcons 2020 pass rush desperately needs. 
And we're going to continue today's Locked On Falcons podcast in which we would sort of jump into the ultimate divisional crossover, talking about the Carolina Panthers offseason moves and their season expectations and all the changes going on there. And on the note of things that you need, sometimes you need parts for your vehicle, particularly parts that are reliably low priced. And of course, you can find those things at rockauto.com. Any types of parts you might be looking for, engine control models, brake parts, floor mats, tailgates, all of them can be found at rockauto.com with just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is easy to navigate. You can sort by brand, specification, prices, and of course those prices, as I mentioned, are always reliably low and the same for professionals as well as do-it-yourselfers. You can go to rockauto.com right now and see what's available for your car or truck. And when you do, make sure that you write locked on in the how did you hear about us box so that they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Thursday edition of the Ultimate NFC South Division crossover. It's Panthers Day. Bill Rossetti back with you guys here. Hope you guys are having a great week. I am joined, of course, by... Three of the top guys here in the network, three of my, three of my boys here in the division, and I'm just going to let them go around and introduce themselves to you. What's up, everybody? Ross Jackson here at Ross Jackson NOLA on Twitter, host of Locked on Saints podcast. Glad to be here with you guys. Aaron Freeman, host of Locked on Falcons on Twitter, at Falcons, F-A-L-C-F-A-N-S. David Harrison, one host of the Locked on Bucks podcast on Twitter, at DHarrison82. And shout out to James Yarko, who is taking care of kind of the other half of the Bucks podcast today, but uh, shout out to him and hope he's doing well. And of course you can follow me at Bill underscore Rossetti. We're here to talk about the Panthers. We've made it to Thursday of this week and we've had a lot of fun this week discussing uh, the rest of the NFC South. We've made it to the Panthers and in my opinion, certainly a fascinating team to talk about just in terms of the rebuild that they're obviously going to be going through. We know, of course, it's, uh, I mean, obviously the Panthers fans that are listening know all too well, but for the other guys, you know, other listeners that are just getting back into the swing of things after everything that's been going on, the Panthers, of course, have basically remade themselves. Uh, Obviously brand new coaching staff led by Matt Rule, formerly of Baylor, brings over his defensive coordinator, Phil Snow, uh, to run the Panthers' defense, and then they brought over Joe Brady, who, of course, was the passing game coordinator at LSU. So he was basically the man behind arguably the greatest offense we've ever seen in college football history with Joe Burrow and the LSU Tigers. And, of course, they have a new signal caller, Cam Newton. It was an end of an era. They decided to release Cam Newton, who, of course, is now just in the last couple of days signed with the New England Patriots. Teddy Bridgewater is now the guy coming over from the Saints, uh, started, of course, five games in place of the injured Drew Brees, giving them about $21 million a year. A um, couple other intriguing offseason additions. Uh, traded for Russell Okung at uh, left tackle, but it was a trade that also sent out Trey Turner, their stud left guard, uh, sending him to the L.A. Chargers. Uh, dressed wide receiver, signing Robbie Anderson to a two-year deal. And then a couple of other veteran guys like Stephen Weatherly, John Miller, uh, Justin Burris, Eli Apple, another former Saint, coming over to fill the the secondary or the cornerback spot vacated by James Bradbury, who's now with the Giants. And the Panthers made a little bit of history in the draft, becoming the first team ever to have seven draft picks and have all seven of them 
be on the defensive side of the ball, headlined, of course, by Auburn defensive tackle Derek Brown with the seventh overall pick. And then they added Yitor Grossmados, the Penn State edge, and Southern Illinois safety Jeremy Chin in round two. Troy Pride, the Notre Dame corner in round four. Kenny Robinson out of West Virginia in round five. Baylor D-tackle Braven Roy in round six. And Stanley Thomas Oliver, the Florida international corner, in round seven. Basically a brand new team, you know, almost starting from scratch if you're the Carolina Panthers. And so I'm really fascinated now to hear these guys' opinions on their on their thoughts of the Panthers, what their outlook is in 2020, how they kind of stand in the division, and maybe even just kind of going forward, how they see this rebuilding process going. So what do you guys think? What's uh, what's your thoughts right now uh, on this Panthers team? Uh, I'll, I'll go first. I, I think what's fascinating to me about the Panthers is in the Ron Rivera era for nearly a decade, they, despite, you know, having the star power of Cam Newton at the quarterback position, they were always trying to be a defensive-driven team. They were always going to be, we're going to run the football, we're going to play great defense, and then we're going to let Cam be Cam, and that's how we're going to win. And when the Panthers were successful in some of those years, including making it all the way to the Super Bowl in 2015, that's the type of identity that the team had. And seemingly under Matt Rule, with the hiring of Joe Brady, it seems like at least for the near term, and you know, I know Matt Rule also buys into the sort of let's be physical identity, but when you look at this roster, it seems like they've flipped. And if the Panthers are going to be a competitive team this year, it's going to be driven by Teddy Bridgewater and Christian McCaffrey and Joe Brady and the additions that they made at the wide receiver position with Robbie Anderson, you know, possible upgrades at the offensive line uh, with you know, Russell Okun and, and John Miller. Um, and their defense is kind of going through a rebuild because they lost Luke Keekley, They lost some other player playmakers up front. You know, their secondary is, is, is going to be kind of revamped. They lost some players there. So it's one of those things where it looks like Matt Rule's long-term plan is to rebuild the defense and taking seven draft picks this year is sort of laying that foundation but it seems like that's going to be something that's going to take the better part of two or three years to get this defense back to a level that would be familiar to Panther fans as far as what they were potentially at their heights under Ron Rivera and in the meantime they're going to be primarily an offensive driven team and you know when I look at this offense I I see a lot of you know pieces that I, I like with with Bridgewater with McCaffrey you know DJ Moore I think is is coming into his own as an NFL wide receiver. I've been a big fan of Robbie Anderson in New York, and I feel like the situation that he's uh, had in New York, not only from a coaching standpoint and a quarterback standpoint, has held him back in a lot of ways, and he could be a potential star in this league uh, in the right situation, and maybe that's in Carolina, and maybe some of the changes they made on the offensive line can lead to that being a little bit more stable than it has been in recent years. So I think there's a lot of things to like about this Panthers offense, which is why even though earlier this week I – seemed a little dismissive of the Panthers. I do think this team has a, a chance to, to, you know, throw some, you know, uh, wrenches in, into the gears of, of other teams, particularly in this division and not necessarily be, you know, this three and 13 rebuild team that I've seen some people in the media sort of suggest this team as, as being the season. I think this is going to be a, a team that has the potential to be very competitive throughout the season. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think I'm probably a little bit higher on the Carolina Panthers than, a lot of other people are. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say that they're a playoff team in 2020 necessarily, but I, I do think they're going to be more competitive than people uh, give them credit for. And yeah, you look at that offense, 
uh, again, kind of echoing what you guys have already said. I mean, when you think Panthers, you know, obviously you have Cam Newton, but you also think defense. I mean, going back to all the way, all the way back to the inception of, of, of their franchise. I mean, you had Kerry Collins, you had uh, Muhammad out there, but you also had guys like Kevin Green, you had Sam Mills out there. I mean, uh, some, some very good defensive squads in this franchise's history. Um, I just I look at this offense, man. And it's just fun. Like I imagine if I were trying to coach an offense, if I were trying to scheme up an offense and game plan with some offensive weapons. I mean, DJ Moore versatile, Robbie Anderson versatile, Curtis Samuel versatile, Christian McCaffrey, the pride of Castle Rock, Colorado. I mean, come on, get out of here. Teddy Bridgewater, a guy who not only has the intelligence, but you know, a lot of people talk about his arm and say he can't get the get the ball downfield. Well, I mean, not for nothing, guys, but you know. When you have guys like DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Curtis Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, you only need to get the ball downfield about 40, 50 yards. Teddy Bridgewater can do that. Those guys, if you're standing on the 20, they can take it the rest of the way. They don't. You don't need to throw a bomb from the 20-yard line to the goal line necessarily to get that big play. I just kind of feel like with the way that this offense is built, you're going to get a lot of short, quick passes uh, with a lot of misdirection, probably a lot of quote-unquote pick plays, uh, a lot of picks going on there, a lot of trying to get guys loose early on in routes. Um, and then see what they can do with the ball afterwards. Or you're going to get a lot of punt passes on, you know, third and longs, maybe a second long, where they basically flip the field trying to hit a home run uh, until they really get their legs under them and find out who they're going to be as a team. Because, I mean, like you said, from the bottom to the top, I mean, from the quarterback to the wide receiver group, the only thing that's really familiar with this team is Christian McCaffrey. But even even still, how is Christian going to be utilized in this team on this offense because they pay him a lot of money and you got to keep him healthy and running backs don't have that history. So you can't just come out in 2020 and say, well, we don't have a whole lot. We don't have a whole lot of familiarity. So we'll just give it to Christian 25 times a day, a day and call it, call it a day and, and, and expect to be successful because that's just not going to happen. Yeah. I got to agree uh, with a lot of what I'm hearing here, but in particular with David mentioning, you know, what is this team going to be? What is this team going to look like? We know, but what is this team going to be? What is the identity of the Carolina Panthers? with their new look. And I think that that's part of what you're going to see this team continue to sort of work out all throughout the season. I, I am also pretty high on Carolina. I, I do think that they're at the bottom of the division here in 2020, but gosh, do they have the building blocks necessary to continue to build after that? Absolutely. Yes. They gave Matt rule a nice cushy long-term contract. Let him know you have time to get all this in order, unless we're, we're tired of you, then you're out of here, but they've at least, Put him on a deal to where he knows he has a little bit of time to get this all worked out. You got three years with Teddy Bridgewater, two years with Robbie Anderson, and then you have this you know, revamped defense. Even at the beginning of the draft, I was at a point to where I was about to be done with the Carolina Panthers when they took Isaiah Simmons over. I'm sorry, when they took uh, 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 Derek Thomas over Isaiah Simmons. But then they turn around and they add a player that has a very similar skill set, but just happens to be from a school that nobody's ever heard of in Jeremy Chin, who I think is going to be absolutely electrifying in the NFL and I can't wait to see what they do with him and especially what a guy like Matt Rule is going to be able to do with him as well I know Matt Rule is able to put together some pretty fantastic offenses like we've seen in Baylor but we've also seen Baylor over there over his time be the only team in that conference with an actual defense for the past few years and so we've seen the emphasis there so I'm really really interested to see what it is that these guys are going to do but the big thing is just going to be figuring out what the identity of this team is what do they do? What's their trademark? What, what it is that sets them apart when they are competing against these other teams? Look, Teddy Bridgewater, I personally have had very close, uh, very close look at Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater is absolutely in position to be back, if you will. I mean, what we saw from him in New Orleans was outstanding. We saw him 
get the ball deep in New Orleans. We also saw him keep the ball in between sort of that short to intermediate area that Drew Brees likes to work. He's, he's very scheme versatile. He can do all those things. He can take those, the shots when he wants to take the shots. But the thing about Teddy Bridgewater is that you're not going to get the risk. You're going to get the shots, but they're all going to be calculated. I'm a fan of that style of play. I think Teddy Bridgewater bringing that to a team that's in the midst of a bit of a uh, let me say reload uh, or a revamp. I think that that's good. I mean, I think losing Luke Keekley is huge for this team, obviously, and we'll see what it is that they're able to do, but they still put some pretty good players there into the secondary with their draft. I'm sorry, not to say the second level with their draft and Jeremy Chin could potentially play there as well. So I'm excited about Carolina. I, I don't know that they jump off the page for me in 2000 and uh, or they jump off the, the screen for me, the way that they jump off the page here in 2020, but I'm very excited to see what they do 2021 and beyond. Yeah. I, I think you guys all hit the nail on the head. You know, this is kind of the start of what, could be something really good and really obviously too I think one of the other key questions with this team certainly is how do they replace Luke Keekley you know and that's where Shaq Thompson is obviously going to come into play you know he's he's not going to be the leader I think of uh not just that linebacker group but definitely uh this defense as a whole you know they gave him the big money last year and now it's time for him to to go earn it uh, you know, they went out and they signed Tyre Whitehead for the linebacker position. They also have, um, you know, you'll still see some other intriguing linebackers there as well. Jermaine Carter is probably going to get the first crack at the middle linebacker position. And, you know, I've always kind of been a fan of Jermaine Carter. And uh, so I'm excited to see him really take more of a sort of say a leadership role, I guess, in this defense in the uh, in the middle there. But um a lot of good stuff there from you guys. We kind of touched on where we stand. I think we're all in agreement that uh, this year they're at the bottom of the barrel uh, in the division, but I think we're also all in agreement, it seems, that they're going to be a little better than what the, the rest of the nation seems to think. I mean, like Aaron mentioned, a lot of a lot of people seem to think this is a this is a team destined for three wins, three or four wins, and maybe in the running for a number one pick. I don't think they're going to be that bad. I think this team, th- this offense at least is talented enough that they're going to win a couple of games just through that. So they could probably get to five or six wins. They're probably still going to pick in the top 10 in next year's draft, but they're going to be competitive in a lot of these games. So um, like I said, definitely one of the more fascinating teams I think to follow this year is going to be the Panthers. So you guys have an idea now of what we think for the 2020 Panthers. Uh, we'll come back and touch on just what we think of, you know, overall and uh, just some questions that we might have on the Panthers. We'll do that in a minute. And that gives me a moment to let you guys know and plug the Locked on Hawks podcast, one of many daily NBA podcasts right here on the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day, Locked on Hawks, hosted by Brad Rowland. You know, Brad's coming at you every day with non-bubble related NBA content. And if you happen to be a supporter of a team that is bubble related, you can find that right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And we're back here talking about the Carolina Panthers here on the NFC South Ultimate Division crossover, actually wrapping up. Uh, talking about the teams with the Panthers. We've got our big wild card day tomorrow with uh, something I think a lot of you guys are going to like. And some of you have uh, kind of made your voices heard a little bit in this. So um, kind of a spoiler, not too much of a spoiler alert, but I think you guys are going to enjoy what 
we've got brewing on Friday. But um, now we're, we're going to talk about just some questions that these guys might have on the 2020 Panthers and, um, you know, just kind of what we see going forward. So what do you guys think? You know, what, do you, what are your guys' concerns and, you know, any questions you guys have on this team? Well, my question, you know, I don't know if, Bill, you, you'd be the best person to answer this. Maybe Ross is a better person to answer this. But, you know, the concerns about the Panthers' secondary, and we, we've touched upon this quite a bit already on on these shows all week long because we know playing in the NFC South, you know, you're facing some of the, the premier wide receivers in the NFL. You can argue that, you know, Michael Thomas, Julio Jones, and, and Mike Evans are three out of possibly three of the top three uh, wide receivers in the NFL, but certainly three out of the top five or six wide receivers pretty universally there. Um, and, you know, you're going to need guys on the back end that can cover you know, and they picked up Eli Apple to replace James Bradbury. They have Jeremy Chin, you know, filling in at strong safety. Do you feel like this is a secondary that can compete in this NFC South? And, you know, of course, uh, I mentioned Ross just because he's experienced the year of Eli Apple. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's having pleasant memories of that or nightmares, but, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe he can fill us in a little bit on, on maybe what the Panthers might be getting with Eli. Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on the secondary, and then I'll definitely get Ross in, because then at least we can get some insight, too, on what Eli Apple is going to bring to the table. But, yeah, if there's a weak point on this on this uh, Panthers defense, it's definitely the uh, the secondary, I think, cause you, just because of the youth that they have. Uh, Dante Jackson certainly, I, th- I think, took a step back in year two. I thought he had a, a pretty good rookie season, but um, not so much. Injuries certainly hurt him a little bit uh, in, in year two, so he's – he needs to have a bit of a bounce back year. Getting Eli Apple certainly gives them that bit of a veteran presence that they obviously lost with James Bradbury. And, you know, so with him and, and Trey Boston, you've at least got some veteran leadership to kind of mix in with these uh, with these young guys. But, I mean, that that's going to be the key is they just got to develop a lot of these young guys, uh, even like Troy Pride, uh, really intrigued by him. I, I saw him at the Senior Bowl. I thought he – played really well so getting him in the fourth round develop him a little bit I think he can eventually turn into a a solid starter even Stanley Thomas Oliver you know I I watched a little bit of him after the draft and you know this is a kid that only has about two years of starting experience at the at the cornerback position I I believe he was a trend uh, he was a wide receiver when he came to Florida International and then converted to cornerback, actually ended up being on the all-conference team uh, during his short time at cornerback. So he seems like he's picked up the position pretty well. So really it's just the the development of this team. And, yeah, obviously the challenge is going to be there because, I mean, when you're facing guys like Mike Evans, Julio Jones, Chris Godwin, uh, six times total, out of your your 16 games, you're going to be tested a lot, and that and that's going to be big, I think, for for a team like this. But um, like I said, I wanted to get Ross in here quick too, because definitely think Ross can give us some quick insight as well on what Eli Apple can bring to the secondary. I'm happy to say I'm very excited to see Eli Apple in Carolina. Uh, <laughs> he was he was originally going to sign with the Raiders. That deal fell through. That's I right. imagine that it had something to do with the fact that he had the two separate ankle injuries during the season physicals and everything were tough with the way that this off season worked and all. And so if, if, if the deal goes through in terms of uh, with 
with Carolina because I'm not clear if they've just agreed to terms or if he's fully signed, Bill. Maybe you can, maybe you might be able to figure that out. But wherever it is, if he's able to, to follow through and he's able to be there. Look, the thing about Eli Apple is that he's a guy that is – He'll probably start the season off pretty strong if he wins that starting role opposite, I imagine, opposite Dante Jackson, I imagine. Uh, and he is somebody that just has the – it's it's not only the ability, but it's kind of the penchant, the, the sort of affinity for just trickling off throughout the season. And sometimes it's injury-related, sometimes it's not. It kind of just depends upon the system that you want him to fit in. If Carolina's going to go to a little bit more of a man-style defense where they're going to expect their – you know, corners to line up one-on-one against these guys, and sometimes they have safety help and sometimes they don't, then Eli Apple's going to get a lot of attention early on in games and quarterbacks are going to go after him. If it's a little bit more of a zone sit back, or maybe even if it's a zone match system, then it kind of plays a little bit more into Eli Apple's strengths. But for the most part, you know, you carry the guy beyond 15 yards down, you know, 15 yards from the line of scrimmage, and then all of a sudden he's out of position almost immediately. And so I think that that is a little bit about, you know, you're going to get better play from him in zone than you're going to get from man. So if he fits the scheme a little bit better, you'll get a better showing from him. But like the Saints, for instance, they wanted to play a lot more man because that's where their number one corner, Marshawn Lattimore, excels. And they just weren't either weren't able to do that or were putting Eli Apple in a position to where he wasn't playing his style. And so it, it really kind of comes down to what fit is there for him and what it is that Carolina expects to do with that defense. But he can tr- either be a liability for you immediately or he can quickly turn into one, depending upon what you're asking him to do, if that makes sense. Good insight there. So as a as a born and bred Buckeye, I'd like to also throw in that these issues with Eli Apple are not new. Uh, they were there in college, and yep. they were pretty much clearly going to be there when the Giants overdrafted the heck out of him. Um, you know, good good kid, but, I mean, you know, Eli's a guy who's he's always kind of relied on his raw athletic ability to win, and even in college you go back and see that in on the Saturdays where he wasn't winning with his raw athleticism. You didn't see a whole lot of fight back, and you didn't see a whole lot of turning and leaning on, you know, technical skills and, and leveraging his teammates and leveraging field position and all that stuff that you need to see in the NFL. So it just kind of followed him uh, throughout his career. So more power to, uh, you know, all, all the luck wished to him, of course, but also looking forward to seeing Chris Godwin and Mike Evans take advantage of that matchup uh, twice in the NFC South here this year. Bill, my question for you, uh, unfortunately, doesn't have to do with the 2020 Carolina Panthers, and I'm sure you're probably sick of already talking about it. I know your listeners have already heard your take on it, but uh, Buccaneers fans are, are fairly passionate about Mr. Mr. Cam Newton, and James is obviously very passionate about Cam Newton. So what are your thoughts about humble Cam leaving Carolina and, I don't know, cocky Cam, uh, bravado Cam uh, emerging in New England? Listen, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, Cam's just been a competitive guy throughout his entire career, right, Go, going back to his days at Auburn, e- even when he was at Florida uh, before he transferred out of there. He's just been a, a fiery guy. You know, you you could argue that Ron Rivera kind of tempered him down, but um, clearly he's, he was not, I mean, he basically came out and said he did not want to leave Carolina and I totally don't blame him. Listen, I was always under the thought that um, when the off season started and it was all the talk of, you know, what are the Panthers going to do with Cam Newton? Are they going to move on this, that, and the other thing? I thought they'd give him at least one more year, you know, because this was going to be the last year of his contract. He was only going to do about $18 million, which, obviously is a, a bargain as we've seen quarterbacks. I mean, on average, I mean, I think this year they're paying Teddy Bridgewater less, but if we were looking at the average per year of Teddy's contract, it's more than what the Panthers would have paid Cam Newton 
had he been on the roster. And now you're looking at what the, the Patriots are going to pay Camden. I mean, it, it's just incredible. Uh, we, we've all seen the list of quarterbacks that are going to make more than Cam Newton. I mean, good good grief. Like, you know, I, I don't want to dog on Taysom Hill, but he's on that list. And, I mean, there's just a host of, you know, crazy. I, I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is on that list. I think Tua is on that list as far as quarterbacks that are going to make more money this year uh, than Cam Newton. So I have no problem with him coming out and being cocky. He's he's a fighter. He's a competitor. This is going to be his time to shine. And look, this is uh he's going to be fun to watch. That's that's another reason why I want to see football this year is because I'm really fascinated by what Josh McDaniels is going to do with Cam Newton. I mean, now that he, you know, we, we thought Jared Stidham was going to be the guy. Now. Now you come in and can't see Cam Newton. Yeah, I can even see Ross shaking his head. And it's like, I mean, you're right. Like, we thought Jared Stidham, you know, it seemed like he was going to be the guy. But I don't know if I speak for all of us. I know I personally, when Cam was released, New England always seemed like the perfect landing spot. And, you know, you guys can chime in quick if you guys thought that as well. But I, I thought New England was the perfect landing spot for Cam Newton. And, um he has a chance to do something special, so I have no problem that he's taken on kind of this whole new attitude, if you want to call it that. Yeah, I I, I will happily say that I'd, I'd never believe Jared Stidham was going to be anyone's quarterback. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we'll see. I could still be wrong. I could still be wrong. Um, and if it makes you feel any better at all, Cam Newton with incentives is still making more than Jameis Winston with incentives. So at least there's that. At least there's that. Uh, my question, my question for you is uh, just going back over to the defensive side. You know, I referenced uh, Jeremy Chin a little bit earlier. Just sort of, what's the vision for a guy like Jeremy Chin? Because he's he's somebody I was very high on coming into the draft that I'm very excited to see in the NFL. And uh, and a little, he's the guy that's the sort of anti Eli Apple for me. Whereas I'm happy to see Eli Apple in the Carolina secondary. Not as happy to see Jeremy Chin involved in the Carolina secondary. But is that going to be his focus, or is he going to be more? Yeah, second level guy. Yeah, and you mentioned it earlier, Ross, about the you know the whole Isaiah Simmons thing. And so, of, of course, at first when the first round of the draft happened and they took Derek Brown, which always it seemed like he was always their guy over Isaiah Simmons. Um, but the fact that they were able to come back and trade back into the second round to get Jeremy Chin, who's basically a light version of Isaiah Simmons, just a little more raw, just needs a little more development. But um, a guy like him, I said, was almost perfect for this Panthers defense because he could play just about anywhere. Um, I think they're going to start him in, in the back end. They're, I, it seems like the ultimate goal might be to end up at safety. You know, so you, you might see him playing opposite uh, Trey Boston at some point. Uh, out of the gates, Justin Burris has that spot. But um, I, I definitely think Jeremy Chin can uh, can easily take that spot at some point. He's definitely athletic enough that he can play kind of that free safety role, um, but he could definitely play nickel corner as well. He, he can kind of play all over the field. So this, this to me was almost, uh, I mean, this was my favorite pick of the draft, you know, and I was a big Derek Brown fan, you know, and, and they needed that anchor uh, on the interior, but the, the versatility, I mean, r- remember we all did that, uh, that big mock draft before the draft, all as hosts. And Isaiah Simmons was actually the pick for me at number seven with Derek Brown on the board because of the versatility that a guy like Isaiah Simmons and in turn a guy like Jeremy Chin brings 
to a young defense that is going to need time to develop. I mean, we've all basically said this is not going to be a uh, a shutdown defense out of the gate. These are a lot of new guys, and we keep mentioning the the weird off season. You know, these kids just have not had an opportunity to really work together. So this is going to take a lot of time uh, for all these new faces to really gel together. But if there's someone that that can get in there and really help take this defense uh, to the next level and just keep helping them improve, it's going to be Jeremy Chin. So he's going to be so fun to watch on film, and I, I can't wait to see how um, – how they utilize him. And it sounds like, you know, I, I hope they actually utilize him a lot more because I know Arizona came out and said they were going to play Simmons at linebacker. And it's like, well, why are you going to pigeonhole, pigeonhole a guy like Simmons to just that? I haven't heard anything like that regarding Jeremy Chin. And I hope that uh, that doesn't end up being the case. The Cardinals did the same damn thing to Hassan Reddick. That's Yes, that did is true. The same that is thing. True. They're going to ruin Isaiah Simmons over there. Yep. Yeah. Right, thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Yeah, Hassan, listen, and I was a huge fan of Hassan Reddick as well, too, and um, he he was going to be that same guy, but, yeah, they just they never really moved on for him, and um, now it looks like his future is in question. Uh, at least a former Cardinal and a similar versatile guy is now in Atlanta in uh, in Dayon Buchanan, so he'll be – It'll be fun to watch. But, yes, you've got some intriguing play. I mean, we're talking about all these players. There's a lot of intriguing players uh, individually in this division, whether it's especially in the safety position, I guess, since we're focusing on that. If we're talking Jeremy Chan, we're talking uh, Dan Buchanan, uh, Antoine Winfield, and then pick your boys in New Orleans. C.J. Garner-Johnson would be the most oh, comparable in the conversation. Yeah. You don't know. I think there's – Panthers fans still out there grumbling that they didn't take Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. I mean, you talk about someone that would have been a, a great fit for the Panthers. It was him. And how he fell to the fourth round still is beyond me. I mean, that was maybe the steal of the draft. I mean, we we almost need to put uh, the gif of um, that security guard from uh from the last dance that's that's the perfect <laughs> exactly. gift right now <laughs> exactly uh bill I, I i do have one follow-up question that we didn't get the chance yeah. to answer are the Panthers gonna be a three four or four three team i think they're gonna mix it up phil snow's come out and said i think they kind of want to be a, a bit of a hybrid so i think you're going to see a lot of different looks from this team and you know they certainly have the personnel to do so um like at the linebacker position, you're going to have Shaq at one end, uh, probably Whitehead on the other. I think Jermaine Carter is a guy that can play all across there, so he's pretty versatile. Andre Smith is another guy that um, has kind of held steady. You know, he, he's been more of a special teamers guy, but maybe this is a chance to get uh, some more action. You know, they could run an odd man front, and Derek Brown certainly is going to be that big horse in the middle. Um, but I think he's athletic enough, too, that he can play uh, that three-tech or a one-tech. I mean, obviously, we've all seen his film. We know just how freakishly athletic he is. Um, and then, of course, you got got uh, kind of your edge guys like Brian Burns. You know, he's a guy that can play with his hand in the dirt in a even man front. He's a guy that can stand up on the outside in an odd man front. So Phil Snow... I think understands that he has some versatile players and it's going to allow him to run a lot of, a lot of different looks. So I don't think they're going to force themselves into one front versus the other. I think you're going to see 
a lot of mixing and matching in that regard. Okay, thank you. So, yeah, a lot, a lot of good talk there. Uh, always a pleasure to have you guys on. It was a real great talk with the Panthers. Um, and that will just about wrap up the week here on the division crossover. As I said, we do have uh, our big kind of finale tomorrow to wrap up this all this whole week. But as far as focusing on teams, this was the end. Um, but we'll certainly be back tomorrow to wrap up what's been an incredibly fun week here on the uh, Locked On Podcast Network with the division crossover. So thank you guys so much for uh, joining me here, and thank you to the listeners for tuning in. And with that, have a great rest of your Thursday, and we will see you tomorrow to wrap up the week here on the division crossover. Until then, take care, my friends. All right, guys, there you guys have it. As Bill said, another ultimate divisional crossover in the books, as well as more content coming for you tomorrow in which we will be breaking down the all preseason all NFC South preseason team. And um, before we duck out, I want to let you guys know that you should be subscribed to the Locked On NFL podcast where NFL scout Matt Williamson and co-host Brian Peacock give you all the things going on around the NFL. Find the Locked On NFL podcast on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.